Good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana. And for those of you joining us for the very first time, hey, we're glad you're here today because we are in our second week of our series, It Ain't Rocket Surgery. But one thing before we jump into today's conversation, every fourth Sunday of the month, we give you the opportunity as a church to go above and beyond to show other people that God is for them by the way that we are for them. We've been calling it our $4 for other Sunday. And while we suggest $4, the amount's not the goal. The goal is 100% participation because together we have the opportunity to put all of our resources together and it adds up to be a great blessing for our community. So here's where your dollars are going to go this month. It's going to be the Gulf Coast Children's Advocacy Program. And part of the reason is that is because April is our Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And, and so one of the things the, that we are very aware of in our communities, and because uh, Gulf Coast has um, uh, offices in Calhoun, Jackson, Washington, Gulf, and Bay Counties, their mission is to offer a refuge for victims and their families and to help people cope with the terrible um, crimes of assault, sexual assault, and child abuse uh, that happen against women and children. And so if you're not familiar with Gulf Coast um, and their program, uh, let me just kind of give you a few stats to help you understand why it's such a valuable part of our community and the work that they do. Um, think about it this way. Um, they say that one out of every four girls experience abuse or sexual assault, one out of every five boys. Um, currently, they see 175 clients in, in, in trauma therapy a week. Uh, they're getting 20 to 30 new cases every week, not including the emergency calls that they get. Uh, in 2022, uh, they provided 10,255 trauma therapy sessions for women and children in our communities. And when you hear those numbers, I know that is absolutely astounding, but that is a real problem in our communities that most of us are not even aware of. And I just want to even say, for those of you who serve in our children and our students' ministry each week, or if you are a priority percentage giver, meaning you give weekly or monthly or quarterly or annually to our church to help us fulfill the mission that God has called us to, I just want to say thank you for helping us create safe environments to partner with parents. Because most of the time, when we're sitting in our auditoriums on Sunday morning, we don't realize the trauma or the difficulty that a lot of children are experiencing that are in our children's area or our student areas on, on our environments on Wednesday evening. So thank you for helping us create the best hour of some kids week, some students week, uh, in order to help anchor God's word deep in their hearts. So here's how you can give. When you came in today, there was an envelope like this on your chair. You can put the money in the envelope and drop it in the giving boxes on your way out today. Or you can scan the QR code on the envelope and you can give through our app. So you can go ahead and do that right now if you want to do that. But also this month, there's a way that you can be for others through serving. Uh, there's this um, QR code that you could use um, on the back of your seat that will help you open up to some places or th this, this list that is on this card. Or you can use this card uh, because on this card, there are emergency bags for women, for teens, and for kids. And um, these are very important because whenever um, officials or social workers are called out, they use these emergency bags because a lot of times they find some very um, dire circumstances or difficult circumstances. So um, make sure that you are also taking advantage of the opportunity to serve because I'm telling you, it's a big deal in our communities. So you can be bringing those emergency bags back next Sunday, sometime during the week at your campus, 
or next Sunday. So um, let me just say, I think a lot of times um, we don't realize everything that goes on in our communities and the trauma and tragedy that so many people experience. Um, but I, I would just like to take a, a moment and let's just have pr a prayer, um, just really asking God to multiply what we do here. Because every time I think about this, talk about this, it's it just, man, it's like, whew, man, God, this is a big deal. Uh, it really is. And so let me just pray for all of us, all of our churches. God, um, this morning we come to you not just because we can. We, we thank you for that privilege. But we come to you because, God, sometimes um, the things that we deal with and we face, they, they seem so overwhelming. They seem so large. And we're just saying, God, um, multiply your work through our effort, we pray. Because, um, God, we, we understand. Um, man, the need is great. And we want to be part of the solution. But God, at the same time, we know that without you, we can do nothing. And so we just ask that your Holy Spirit uh, work through, God, our effort uh, to really bless an organization that really is reaching into some difficult situations on a daily and weekly and monthly and yearly basis. So I thank you, God, for their work and ask that you just continue to bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, go ahead and uh, grab your um, app and find the talk notes there or grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 24 um, today. As I said, we are in our second week of our series, It Ain't Rocket Surgery. And if you're here for the very first time, you're probably thinking, yeah, those two words don't really go together, do they? Well, it's kind of a play on the phrase rocket science and brain surgery, two things that are notoriously complex and difficult um, to understand, really. And so I think it's a really a great name for this series why we chose it is because whenever our situations, whenever our circumstances, whenever our problems are overwhelming us, we often tend to overcomplicate things. And whenever we are overwhelmed or we overcomplicate things, we then start making those decisions kind of like monumental tasks and we get bogged down in the details. And, and bottom line is we get all emotionally tied up and we start making some bad decisions. And when we start making bad decisions, we start feeling overwhelmed with anxiety, worry, and fear. And for example, uh, one day you find out that your marriage is a lot worse than what you thought it was. I mean, there's been things happening in your marriage that you didn't know, and suddenly you're forced to decide, do I fight for the marriage or do I leave? I mean, is it even worth fighting for? And that's a tough situation to be in. And there's so much emotion to work through that it's really hard to figure out, what should I do? Do I fight or do I leave? Or let's say you're in a relationship and somebody you respect, they pull you aside and they question whether you should be in that relationship with that person, with him or her, that person that you're dating. And their concern is very legitimate. And so now you're faced with the decision, do I leave or do I stay? Do I ignore their input 
because I have strong feelings for this person? Or do I pay attention to the red flag and rethink the relationship? Or maybe um, you, you got a job that you enjoy and life that you love, and then out of the blue, you get this call um, with another job making more money, but it requires you to move to another state, and you wish that you never had to take that phone call, and now there's this decision that you have to make. Do, do I stay at this job or do I take this other job? What's the wise thing or the best thing to do? But here's the thing. Over and over in life, we find ourselves facing situations we never expected to face, being forced to make decisions that we never wanted to make. As we talked about last week, that can be very tough. That can be overwhelming, can be very confusing. And here's why. Because there's always so much uncertainty whenever we're having to make difficult or emotionally charged decisions. It feels like there's never enough time or there's never enough information in the moment for us to make a, 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 a wise choice. So the question is, what do you do? How do you navigate through all the uncertainty and figure out what is your next best step? What's your next best move? Well, fortunately, Scripture gives us great insight to help us figure out what is the best decision that I need to make, especially the tough circumstances or situations. Now, last week, I gave you the first and probably the toughest question that you need to be asking yourself every time you find yourself in a difficult situation or a circumstance. This is the, that was, we gave you the first question last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it. Here was the question that we gave you. Why do I want to do this really? In other words, we said last week, you got to get honest with yourself about your motives. And you've got to acknowledge the real reason that I am making this decision is, and you fill in that blank. Because the reality is, if you don't get honest with yourself, as we looked at from the life of Abraham last week, you'll sabotage your life, but not just your life, you'll also sabotage the life of other people. Remember, I mean, it affected not only his children, but also his grandchildren. Now, this week, we're going to look at a second question that you need to consider whenever you have a tough decision to make or find yourself in a difficult circumstance, and that is this question, and that is, what story do I want to tell? Now, here's why this question is so important, because no matter how big or how difficult the circumstance or the decision that you're facing, and regardless of how much emotion is involved in the moment, no matter how much it may be turning your world upside down, no matter how much it may be spinning your life around and around, no matter how many sleepless nights it is causing you right now, one day what you're experiencing, and I don't mean to minimize what you're experiencing, but one day what you're experiencing right now will simply be a story that you tell in a couple of sentences. For example, if you've been out of high school, for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and someone asks you about your high school years. If your high school, if you're a normal person, I should say it this way, because some people, they still live in their high school years. They're still back there. They're stuck there, right? But for the average person, right, when somebody asks you about your high school years, you sum up those four years of your life in about two or three sentences, maybe a paragraph. Now, 
At the time that you were in high school, all that stuff that you were involved in, all that drama that took place, all those activities and events that you were part of, I mean, remember before your graduation, your, your class was all together before graduation night going, we're going to be friends forever. We're, you know, friends forever deal. And, and you didn't even see them after graduation night. And you've never been to a class reunion, hardly, and then you got older, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I probably should go, you know, but it's like, you, you start summarizing in just a few sentences four years of your life, like five, 10, 15 years later, if somebody asks you about high school, you go, yeah, I was in high school at this place, and, and I was in FFA, or I, was, I played baseball, or I played volleyball, or I did this, or I did that, and then I graduated. But at the time, it was a big deal. But since all that time has passed, you compress all that drama, all those decisions from high school into a two-sentence kind of story. Now, the same thing is true for some of you when you tell people about the four years or the five years or the six years that you spent in college, right? Yeah, because some of you, that four-year degree took longer than, right? Right? I mean, think about it. It's true not just about your college experience. It's also true about your last job, your last marriage, your last relationship. Those decisions that you made in all those decisions, all those circumstances, they were really tough and they were difficult and they consumed your life in the moment. You stayed awake at night worrying about things. But after a period of time, no matter how hard they were, they simply become part of your story that you tell. And what that means for us today is that situation that you are currently facing, the one that seems larger than life to you right now, and you can't figure out what to do, and you toss and you turn at night about it, those decisions that you're making, they will simply become a story that you tell in the future. And here's the great news. You get to decide today what story you will tell. For example, if you're in high school or you're a college student, your story can be, well, I was in school, I got caught up in the party scene, I walked away from God, I did things that I regret, and I'm not really proud of those things now. As a matter of fact, my story is I don't want to tell my story now or maybe ever. Or if you're a high school or college student, it could be, well, while I was in school, I kept following God. I made a positive impact on a lot of my friends while I was there. And God has just done some amazing things in and through my life because I was faithful to him. See, you get to choose as a high school student or a college student what story you're going to tell. Or if you're a parent. Your story can be, well, I found out that my kid was using drugs and I said I did some things that were so hurtful we don't speak anymore and they're not welcome in my house anymore. Or your story can be, I found out that my kid was using drugs, we kept on loving them through the whole process and we've come through it and we have a stronger relationship than we've ever had before. Or if you're single, your story can be, well, I started dating them. And then I realized they were influencing me to go down a road I didn't want to go, but I stayed in the relationship, and now I've done things that I said I would never, ever do. I married someone who doesn't have the values that I value, and now, or it can be, I'm, I'm a single parent now with kids I love deeply, but man, I just wish they had the constant influence of a dad or mom that cared about them as well. Or if you're married, and your marriage is struggling, your story can be, well, we gave it our best shot, but we just couldn't make it work. 
Or your story can be, hey, we didn't give up on the commitment that we had. I kept fighting for the relationship and doing the hard work of dealing with the issues that I had, not the issue that my spouse had. I did the hard work of just working on me and giving over and over again and just working on me and making sure that I was a blessing in our marriage. And now our marriage is better than it's ever been. See, we never think of it this way in the moment. But every decision that you make every day, especially in those difficult circumstances or situations, writes a story that you're going to tell one day to somebody in your life. And what I know about you is you want to get to your future and you want to be able to tell the whole story, don't you? You don't want to have to feel like you got to hide part of the story or kind of exaggerate part of the story. And this is why the second question is so powerful whenever you're facing a difficult situation. What story do I want to tell? Now, there's an incredible illustration of the importance of this in the Old Testament. We find this in 1 Samuel, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. It's a story from the life of David before he became king. And the thing that makes this such an amazing story is how emotionally charged the decision-making environment was in which David found himself. So let me just kind of take a minute to explain how David got to this point, and then we're going to jump into the story. See, we're first introduced to David when he was a teenage shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep. And then one day, Samuel, who was a prophet in Israel, he showed up in this little town of Bethlehem, and he goes straight to the home of Jesse, who was David's dad. Now, whenever a prophet showed up in your hometown, it was either really good news or terrible news that you were possibly about to hear. But in this case, it was sort of kind of good news. Because see, Samuel comes along and he tells Jesse, hey, that God has chosen one of your sons, Jesse, to be the next king. And to everybody's surprise in the household, David was the son that Samuel anoints to be the next king. Now, on one hand, this is a little bit of a problem for a couple reasons. One, the fact is, is David is just a teenage boy. So after this big anointing ceremony that happens and David is anointed as the next king, his dad says, okay, time to go back out and do your chores. Go wash the sheep again. The other reason this is a problem is that, don't miss this one, Israel already has a king. His name is Saul. And Saul has a son by the name of Jonathan, who Saul is thinking is going to take his place. But Saul has been disobedient to God, so God has decided that Saul's son won't succeed him as king. Instead, David will. And then you're probably even more familiar with the story of David and Goliath, right? Remember the battle that took place there, which Saul really enjoyed in the beginning until all the women started singing about how much greater and how more famous David was than Saul. In other words, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And so trouble started brewing because all of a sudden Saul feels threatened by David. And to make a long story short, Saul ends up being so threatened by David because he was such an insecure person that Saul ends up trying to find a way to kill David. So David is like this outlaw, even though he's done nothing wrong, and he flees into the desert to live to spare his life. And as he's there, he gathers a large group of men around him that were also kind of known as outlaws, and they become David's mighty men. They become his army. 
Now, they live in the woods, and they live in the desert for several years. And over time, Saul becomes more and more insecure. And Saul decides that David is still too much of a threat. And so he decides, I'm going to kill David. And I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to kill his men. I'm going to wipe David out. And that's where our story begins in 1 Samuel 24, beginning in verse 1. Notice how this goes. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men. I mean, this is how much of a threat that Saul felt like David was. He took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David. Notice what happens next. He came to the sheep pens among, along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself, not relieve himself as I'm hot, I need to cool off. He actually had to relieve himself. I mean, it's like kind of hard to believe that's even the Bible. This is what I love about the Bible, right? It's like we're even talking about this in church. I can do that because it's in the Bible, right? In fact, if you have a middle schooler and you want them to read more of the Bible, you should start here. I mean, they like, love this story, right? So you kind of get the picture. Saul's traveling with an army of like 3,000 soldiers. They got all the carts and all the supplies to make sure that they have their weapons and their food and everything they need for all this, um, this mission that he's on. And Saul just can't wait any longer. He needs a relief stop. So the whole army stops and waits while Saul, the king, heads into the cave to take care of his business. Well, notice what happens next. David and his men were far back in the cave. So you just heard the music change in this story, right? So apparently, when David hears Saul was coming, he tells his army, hey, you just spread out and you hide in all the caves and the mountainsides. And then after Saul and his army has passed, then we're, we'll, we'll, once they've left, then we'll get back together and we'll go the other way. So Saul just happens to walk into a cave where David and a few of his fiercest fighters are, his fiercest warriors. Now, David at this point is confronted with a decision. He really has three options to choose from. One, he can do nothing. He can just let Saul take care of his business, and then once Saul and his army is gone, they can just go the other way. Two, he could walk up to Saul and surrender. Now, that seems a little bit awkward given the circumstance, right? Or maybe he could just wait till Saul was finished and then surrender. <laughs> or option three is, he can kill the man who's trying to kill him. And when you stop and think about it just off the top of your head, it's like, man, that seems like maybe the best option. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, David, you have been anointed to be the next king. Saul's been disobeying God, and he's been trying to kill you for no reason. But now here he is. I mean, just think about it. That can't be a coincidence. I mean, God made Saul need to take a rest stop just at the right time and in the same cave that you're hiding in, David. I mean, David, you don't even need to pray about this. Haven't you had friends tell you stuff like this? I mean, like, you don't even need to pray about this. This one's so obvious. God has answered your prayer. I mean, he's delivered your enemy into your hands. I mean, this is like the miracle of all miracles. This is the break we've been waiting for, David. I mean, name it and claim it, or in this case, name it and slay it. No, just teasing. Because, I mean, it's like today's your day. It's a God thing. 
Now, that's how David's men saw it. You go, how do you know that? Well, look at verse four. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. When he said to you, David, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, have you had friends and family telling you that? I mean, they're quoting God here, right? So what do you do? And I know it's hard for you to put yourself into David's shoes because we don't live in that kind of culture. But if you lived in that kind of culture, you know that life is cheap and kings were murdered all the time. And now God has come to you and he's told you that you're going to be king. And now the king who's trying to kill you is very vulnerable. He's unprotected. And you could end all this trouble, perhaps. So what would you do? Well, here's the surprising response of David. Even after David's men has said, the Lord has spoken. This is the day the Lord spoke up. Look at David's response. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He made the decision not to kill Saul in spite of the fact that all the circumstances and all the people around him, they're even quoting God. Nah, I don't think I want to do this. Here's what happens next. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off even a corner of his robe. And I'm sure his guys are rolling their eyes, most likely thinking, David, you feel bad for just cutting off a corner of his robe? I mean, good grief. You should feel bad for letting him live, not cutting off a corner of his robe. Like, what's wrong with you, David? This is the day the Lord spoke of. Now, this is just my opinion, but here's why I think David spared Saul's life. I think David started thinking about the story that he wanted to tell in the future. And he realized in this moment, this moment that was charged with so much emotion, in a moment that seems so obvious that people are quoting the words of God, in this moment he realized this one day, is gonna become my story. And when his kids and his grandkids were all gathered around the dinner table and one of his grandkids pop up and say, hey, grandpa, tell us how you became king. His story could be, well, I waited on God and I did the right thing even though it cost me many more years of suffering and pain and hardship, and then one day, God delivered me, and God put me on the throne. Or his story could be, well, kids, one day I was hiding in a cave, and I caught Saul with his pants down, and I snuck up, and I cut his head off. <laughs> now, you tell me, which story would you want to tell your grandkids? Which story would you be proud to tell? And which one would you want to embellish a little bit the facts? I think as David thought about what story he wanted to tell, the story became very obvious. That there's a right here and there's a wrong here and I'm not going to be the guy who killed the king. Because David had no guarantee. Think about this. David had no guarantee, even if he killed Saul, that he would become the king. 
Now, most likely that could have been one of the possible outcomes since he had been anointed king years earlier, but he really had no control over that. He only had control over his story. Please don't miss this. You have no control over the outcome of your decisions. You only have control over your story. You only have control over the decisions that you make. But every decision that you make becomes part of your story. So in those emotionally charged moments, you can't think in the short term. You can't think about what the immediate outcome could possibly be and how it could help you escape this difficult time. You have to think long term. You got to think about what's the story that I'm going to tell one day. That's what David did. As he crawled up to Saul, I think he must have realized, I don't want to be the guy that murdered the king. I don't want that to be part of my story. So he didn't kill him. Now, as you can imagine, based on verse four that we just read, when you got back, his guys, they weren't very excited about this. I mean, to them, it makes no sense because after all, the Lord has spoken about this day. I mean, this was their chance to stop being outlaws, to stop running, to stop living in the desert and caves. So basically they say to David, well, if you won't kill him, we'll kill him. But notice what happens in verse six. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Think about this. This is the guy who's disobeying God and is trying to kill David. And David still says, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Now notice what he says to verse 7 to his guys. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now I want you to think about this. You talk about a moment that none of those men would ever forget about David. Talk about a moment that defined David and his character and his influence with these mighty men that were with him. At this point in time, they now know the depth and the strength of David's character. They know that no matter what, they can trust David to do what is right. And more than that, they now have a remarkable story that they can tell for the rest of their lives to their children and their grandchildren about the kind of leader that they were following. Look, look at verse eight. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. I don't know how far Saul had gotten away, how far his army had gone, but David comes out and he gets Saul's attention some way and everybody realizes that David just walked out of the cave that Saul had been in and they all probably know what they would have done if they were in David's shoes if Saul had walked in their cave. And the next few verses tell us that David bows down on the ground before Saul. Don't miss this. The guy who's trying to kill him. He bows down to him and he pleads his case. He says, I'm not your enemy and I'm not going to take your life. I mean, you can read the rest of the story for yourself. But near the end, David says this to Saul in verse 15. And I love this. He says, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hands. Not delivering you into my hands, but by delivering me from your hands. 
your hand. So literally he's saying, Saul, no matter what you do, I'm not going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to keep making right decisions. I'm going to keep trusting God with the outcome of my story because no matter what happens, I know what story I want to be able to tell in the future. And I know what story I don't want to tell. And some of you, you find yourself today in a situation, in an emotionally charged environment, very emotionally charged, and it's keeping you up at night, and your world is spinning. And the question is, what do you do? What do you do? But here's even the bigger question. What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? I mean, for some of you, you're proud of the story that you can tell so far with your life. For others of you, maybe you're not. But here's the good news for all of you. Today, you have control over how your story will end up. You have control over the decision that you are about to make or the decisions you're about to make this week. And those decisions, they're going to become part of your story and it'll become part of the story of the people that you love. Don't miss that. The decisions you make, they become part of your story, but they don't just become part of your story. They become part of the story of the people that you love. Parents, don't miss this. Your story is, or one day, will be part of your kid's story. Because every decision that you make as a parent will be part of their story. One day, your children will be sitting down and telling people, man, my mom and dad, they had it so hard. I mean, their marriage was so difficult, but they fought through and they did the right thing and they honored each other and they honored God and they stuck it out. And man, I am so glad that they did because it gave me a model of how to deal with conflict well. Or their story could be, oh, my parents, you talk about some crazies. Oh my gosh, it's a wonder I even turned out decent because my parents are so crazy. (laughs) Listen, parents, your story, your decisions make your story and your story become part of your children's story. Teenagers, I know you don't want to hear this this morning, but your story is part of your parents' story. See, I know you don't want to hear that, but the decisions that you make as a teenager or a young adult They determine the story that your parents tell. They determine the story that your siblings tell. If you're single, your story will become part of your marriage story. It will become part of your spouse's story. I mean, they will be impacted by every decision you make before you get married. But not only that, the decisions you make in terms of what you do with the people you date before you get married will become part of their story as well, not just yours. So here's the question. Five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 25 years from now, 30 years from now, what story do I really want to tell? And is the decision that you're making or you're about to make, is it going to allow you to tell the whole story or will you feel like you need to hide part of your story and cover up part of your story? So here's my challenge to you today at all of our churches. Will you make the commitment to never opt for a decision that will make you a liar for life? Let me say that one more time. Will you make the commitment today that you will never opt for a decision that will make you a liar for life? And will you commit to never making a choice where you will end up of being part of someone's I wish I had never regret story. Evaluate those options 
And then choose the decision that you'll be proud to share that story with your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren because every decision you make today becomes part of your story. And as difficult as right decisions are now, it's always worth it because one day you'll be glad that you have a story to tell. But not only one day will you be glad that you have a story to tell, that you can tell of how you honored God and how you invited Jesus in your life and then you lived out his kingdom in this world in the way that you treated other people. See, we don't want just to be able to tell a good story of how God changed our life and transformed our life. I think we want to be like David and have, when other people tell our story, they say, as they did of David, well, he was a man after God's own heart. She was a woman after God's own heart. They were a young adult after God's own heart. They were a student after God's own heart. So the question is, what story do you want to tell? And what story do you want the people around you to tell? Your children, your grandchildren. Don't we want them all to be able to say, oh man, my dad, my mom, man, they were people after God's own heart. Today, you get to decide not only the story that you will tell, but the story other people will tell that you will impact with your life. Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray that we don't take this lightly. I thank you for the good news that today, even though we may not be proud of all of our story in the past, today, because of your grace, your kindness, your forgiveness, because of the empowering of your Holy Spirit that indwells us as followers of Jesus. We have the ability through your strength in our lives to make decisions and choices that will impact those around us in a way that will cause them to love God and respect and fear God even more. God, I just pray right now that you help every one of us to lean in and begin looking at all the decisions we have to make and begin to ask this question, so what story do I wanna tell? God, I pray that today that you'll help none of us this week or in coming weeks or years or months to opt for a story that would make us want to be a liar for the rest of our lives because we will embellish the story or we'll change the story because we're so ashamed of the story. God, I thank you for your redeeming and transforming grace. And I thank you that even for some of us, our story that we have to tell may be, well, this is what I was before Jesus, but then Jesus came and this is what I have now. God, I thank you. Thank you for your love. Now lead us through this week. And may we all make decisions 
that help us tell great stories of our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, everyone, thanks so much for being with us. Let me tell you one thing before you leave today. Um, May the 7th, put it on your calendar. It's going to be evening of vision. All of our campuses are going to come together at our Mariana campus. We're going to have a time of worship, time of communion. We're going to share with you a little bit of what's going on with our church and where we're going. And then at 6, we're going to have an after party. It's going to be a great time to hang out, um, have food, fellowship with all of our church family from all of our campuses. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.